so thankful for the opportunity to share that vision with you tonight. Brother Anthony did not help my confidence level at all before service, telling me that with my red tie and my black suit that I look like President Trump. <laughs> and uh, so I'm not going to stand up here and do any gross exaggerations or anything like that. But I do want to tell you that we're going to make church great again. <laughs> this is hard to think about at some part in the future. There will be some sort of separation. But I don't want to think of it that way. Uh, because when you have this relationship with the church, there should always be some sort of connection. But this has been my church home for almost well, a little over six years. And I'll be honest with you, that has been the longest that I have ever served one church. I, I've helped and moved and been at different places. But this is the longest I have been. Outside of growing up in my home church, this is the longest I've been. And so this is, uh, this is, it's moving to be part of this. I love so many people in this church. I love everybody in this church. I shouldn't say that. But there's people that are, that, <laughs> that's, that's a, I better clarify that. You know, but I, I, I love Brother and Sister Marks and their family and their kids and how they're just hungry to worship in the, in the Lord and to see them at, at conference standing in front of the church and, and seeking and praising God. That moved my heart. It moved my heart thoroughly. And uh, uh, how so many of you have become really good friends to us. And I, I thank you for that. And I thank you for my friend, Brother Harple. I've had my license with the UPC for about 36 years. And there has been two names that are together in, in that directory, and they've been there for 36 years. And it's, it's, it's our yours is first, it is William Harple, and then my next one is right underneath him is Dale Hara. And I'm, I, it was exciting over the years to see his son's name go above his, his name on there. Jeff's there now, and now it's, William, it's Jeff Harpo and William Harpo, and then it was Dale Hara. And I am so happy that the next time that's published, it's going to say Dale Hara, Jonathan Hara. Because I'm thankful that my son has accepted the call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Brother Harpo, when I prayed for you Thursday night, I was selfish in my prayers because I pray that God gives you longevity. I pray that God gives you strength because I want you around a long, long time. <laughs> but there is a part of all of us that we, you know, and I, I, let me go on and say, I thank God for my family. I thank God for my wife. She is so supportive of everything that we do. I, I, I imagine I totally freaked her out when we came home from a, 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 an event and I said, this is what God's wanting us to do. And it was like, oh, my Lord. But I'm so thankful that she, she's just been so willing with every step we've made in, this, in, in, our, in our ministry, but also in this business that we started. I'm thankful for that. And I am thankful for Sister Audrey, how God has blessed her life. You know, when, when, when she first came here, I know she felt out of sorts, but God has really taken her life, anointed it, blessed it. She's been an example to our young people. I'm going to just outright say it. You know, for the first year or two she sat here, she was on the front pew, and all the young people started coming up here sitting. And I thank God for that example. I'm embarrassing you. You want to stand, swing, clap or something? Okay, never mind. All right, so, so I'm thankful for that. Now let me, let me get to the word of the Lord. Well, let me first say this. The Missouri District, when, when we ask about this, and I talked to Brother Buford beforehand, I believe we're all supposed to do everything in, in a proper order and in a right way, okay? You have to understand the nature of the job that I do. I work at headquarters. I am the director of training for the ministry of our, of our fellowship, okay? So on regular basis, okay, I stand this far in front of Brother Jones 
and Brother Bernard and just about name everyone. And I get one-on-one teaching from them because I'm operating a camera. Okay? I hear about doctrine. I hear about church growth. I hear about all these things in our fellowship that I've grown up since I was a boy hearing. And there's no way that you can hear all that and not have it prick your heart. Okay. So, so in doing this, I started going to these, these, these sessions where we're talking about church growth and the need to expand. The only way that an organism really grows is to split or expand. We're not trying to do a split, but you know what I'm saying. It grows that way, okay? And so my heart got pricked. We've got to do something to reach this city. And so when I stood before that board and they said, why do you want to do this? My answer honestly was, I don't want to. I have to. I have to do this. This is a calling that God puts on our heart. If when you got a calling for to preach, somebody we were at dinner today talking, and someone said, "Man, I wonder if God's going to call." Oh, they're talking about they want they they would like to preach someday. And I looked at it was Brother Harpo. I said, "Why would they want to?" This changes your life totally. Your life is totally different in ministry than you are outside of ministry. But I told the board, I, why would I want to? I don't want to. What I want to do, I, if, I, if I had my will, I could sit back right now. I have a great job at headquarters. I just sit in front of preachers all day recording them and talking to other preachers about how to train their church. That's what I do all day. I also own this business with my family that we have where, we, where God's blessed us and we have an influence on our community. I could sit back right now. I could probably really, if we made some sacrifices, walk away from headquarters and just work that and kind of take it a little easier than what I am right now. But that's not what God wants. When God tells us to do something, we've got to do it. We can't be afraid and be fearful when God tells us, do, go. Fear is something that embraces us. Okay, the last couple times I preached up here, I got to admit to you, I was scared to death. I stood up here in this pulpit, had to felt like I needed to explain why I had the right to be up here. There was a feeling of that. I, I just needed to do that. The authority that we have as preachers comes from God Almighty, okay? And the fear that gets into our hearts is not from God Almighty, okay? I've always admired the person known as Stonewall Jackson. I'll tell it real fast. Somebody asked him one time, Stonewall Jackson was known for when he, and he was on the Confederate side, but when he would, when he would uh, direct his army, he would, he would stand on the back of his horse. I think the, the stories say it was a big white horse, and he was a big man, okay? And he would, he would sit on the back of that horse. He would stand on the hillside above where the battle's going on. He could see the Confederates, and he could see the Union, and he would tell his people, go that way. And he would stand on his horse, and he would point. And he would point to them, no, go that way. And, they, and the army had such confidence in him, as he would move his hand and direct them, they would go the way he said. But he never got off the horse. He never got off the hill, and he stood there fearless. And they, they gave him the nickname of Stonewall because he was like a stone wall standing and not moving. And someone asked him, why is it that you are, are, are not afraid? Why don't you have fear sitting on the back of that horse in front of everybody? You could be, you could be shot off that horse by a sniper. And Stonewall Jackson's response was, the Bible tells me that it is appointed to one time for man to die. And whether I'm laying in my bed or if I'm on the back of that horse, when my time comes, that's when it's going to happen. So there's no sense in me living in fear. I have a job to do. And folks, when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is no reason for us to fear stepping out and doing something for the kingdom of God. We need to be kingdom-minded. We need to be minded about the things of Christ Jesus. In the, excuse me, in, in the book of John, I want to read a portion of Scripture to you. Why don't we stand just one more time. Let's read this. I want to read this out loud. John 1, 45 and through 51. I'm going to read from the English Standard. 
The Bible says that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathan said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You see greater things, excuse me, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I want to look at three things in this scripture for us tonight. When, when Philip told Nathaniel, come and see, he showed that Jesus is available. Everybody say, available. When Jesus said he saw Nathaniel under the tree, it showed that Jesus was aware. Everybody say, aware. And when Jesus told Nathaniel that from this time forth, you will see the Son of God as angels descending and ascending, he is making a reference to Jacob's ladder, meaning that all prayers answered is going to come through Christ Jesus. Amen? Follow? And that shows that Jesus is able. So tonight I want to talk about available, aware, and able. And you can be seated in Jesus' name. I got to tell you, my heart's on fire. My heart's on fire. I hear of late, I talk to strangers in restaurants that, that, I, that maybe I, I didn't have the comfort level of doing before. I, I, I buy meals for people that I don't even know just to get an opportunity to say something to them. I, 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 I talk about this great, big, wonderful God that we serve. And when we serve God this way, there should be a fire igniting in our heart. And there's something about fire, if you know this, fire produces light. Amen? And light, the hotter the, the, hotter the fire, the brighter the light. And when something that is on fire like that, I don't know if you've ever seen this happen before. I made a mistake last year. My kids, John, Jeremy and, and Audrey, they, they all wanted s'mores. So we were out in the backyard and we're making s'mores. And I'm, I, I make this fire in this, this fire pit that we have and... And the knucklehead that I am, the piece of board wouldn't catch on fire. So I took the board out of the fire and I threw it across my yard. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, neighbor comes running to my door and says, Your back porch is on fire. Because you can't have bursting flame without it igniting and expanding. Expanding. And that's what the church of the living God does when the people of, the, of his name are on fire for him and are spreading God's word. Amen? Come on, preach with me tonight. Preach with me tonight. We are, it, it, it's amazing to think about a great God the way he is. There's what, roughly maybe 120 people here tonight. Here we're in the middle of a metro area of about 2 million people. We're on a continent that has about uh, uh, a little over, uh, I think, 750 million people on it. We're on a planet that has about 7 billion people on it. We're on a, uh, that planet circles a star that has eight, uh, no, we, that Pluto got demoted, so seven other, or eight other, no, seven other planets floating around it. Somebody needs to write Mickey and say, put in a thing for Pluto again. Not fair for Pluto. Those star, those planets orbit that sun. That sun is spinning. That sun is part of another system of stars that's spinning in this whirlpool of other stars. And somehow in the midst of all of it, the balance and the, and the precision of all of it keeps everything functioning just perfect. But that's
that's not the only one. There is other ones spinning around outside, around that. Others, they say it's limitless, and it keeps going on and on. And all of those different things all have some sort of rhythm and some sort of power to them that keeps everything here working right. And it's amazing to me that God has all of that right there in his hand. He knows where we are at. And it amazes me that it's small, this, this insignificant man standing here on this ball of mud circling that star that he loves enough that he made a plan for me. I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy. And it, and it, it works so well. My science might be off, but if the, if the earth was just a, a little bit further away from the sun, we'd freeze. If we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we would burn up. If the moon just, you know what's weird about our moon? The moon always faces us the same way. It doesn't spin. All the other moons around all the other planets spin, but our moon always faces us. It doesn't spin. It has an orbit that always is the same. It's always facing us. That's an anomaly, but it works for our planet. It works the way God wants it. If that moon was slightly further away, the waters and the rivers would dry up. If it was a little bit closer, they would, they would swell and our cities would be covered with water. It amazes me that we serve such a great God, a great God that takes care of us in that fashion. It goes beyond just our salvation. It goes on recognizing the awesomeness and the power of a mighty God. He's so good to us. And to think that we know him personally. To think that he makes a plan for each of us. And folks, it has to get into our hearts that others need to know about this. You talk to people and they don't know. They don't know, they don't know anything about God nowadays. It's not that they, they, they know about the Trinity or they know about these things. They don't know anything about God. There's total misunderstanding about the functionality of the Spirit. Talking to Stephen this morning, we were talking, and I said to him, I said, he, we were talking about the Holy Ghost, and and, and he, he, we started talking about baptism, and I said, he, I felt like the Book of Acts was happening. I said, Why, Stephen? Why wait? The water's right there. You need to go ahead and do this. Well, I don't know when the right time. The right time is now because the water's there. Salvation is today. The Holy Ghost moving upon our lives and speaking in tongues. Those, hey. We might sound like we, we don't know what we're saying. We're just worshiping God in a language that he gives us. Amen. Sometimes that language and, and, and the operations of the Spirit happens. And I'm going to talk a little bit and a little more about this in a minute. But the operation of the Spirit sometimes makes it that we're having a great time. We're worshiping God. And we're sensitive to the Spirit. And all of a sudden, one solitary voice starts to speak louder than the rest. And the Spirit of God should quicken the others that are listening to that word. And then they'll know that this is something getting ready to happen that's unique of God. And those other voices will listen as that one voice continues to be louder. And the Spirit of God is quickening to say something to the church almighty that will make us stronger. That's amazing that God works on that. And when he's doing that for this church, he's doing it across town at another church. He knows what that church needs at that moment. He knows what another church in another state needs in that moment. God is unique and available to each and every one of us regardless. What a God. What a God. And knowing that, He's that way. He is our salvation. He is our hope. He is the fullness of everything we need. Brother Perriman, he is the truth. He is the lie. Regardless of popular opinion, I've said this before, truth does not need a majority vote. Truth does not need an agreement between me and you that it's truth. Truth is indignant of the word of God and what it says, and we stand upon that truth knowing that it is all that it needs to be. Truth is truth. 
And we as a people of God need to be in a constant state of metamorphosis and change in our life. We can never get to a place of contentment with our walk and who we are. You cannot just be a person that sits on a pew and takes in and absorbs the meat and the milk. You have to be someone that as you get that, it needs to be able that you want to pass it on to somebody else. It needs to be something in your heart that gives that you feel like this is so great. I've got to give it away. If you get to the place, oh, I love this. I'm just going to keep it to myself. That's wrong. That's something's wrong. The Bible. There's a, well, I should say this. I should, at times, I feel full of faith. I've seen some amazing things over the fast, last three or four years. I, uh, I've been blessed with what's happened with my family. I've been blessed with what's happened with this business we own. And it makes me sometimes feel like, man, man, God can do anything. And I believe he can. I told Sister Stacy the other day, I have faith for your healing. He can do anything. I have to trust in that. There's times that I feel like I have no faith. Why did I even get up this morning? And then I have my support team that reminds me of all of God's great goodness and how he's blessed me, and then I realize I'm wrong. But the Bible has a clear pattern that God does not use the best or who is expected to be used. He doesn't use the most qualified often. Moses was so insecure of his his ability to do the job that he didn't even feel like he could have the speaking qualifications to go and speak in front of Pharaoh. The Bible says he stutters. I don't know if that he stuttered all the time. He may be like me. Sometimes I get tongue-tied when I'm in front of people. Sometimes I feel like Elmer Fudd because I can't get all the words out. For all you Pentecostals, Elmer Fudd is a cartoon character with Bugs Bunny. And for the reference, I'm probably one of the funnest guys you might ever know. I read comics. I watch cartoons. I love playing games. Kids love me, except for that one. I don't know what's on with Zach. I don't know what's up with that. I love kids. Yeah. I guess you got to have one just to put you, keep you, you know, in your place. But God does not have the tendency to use the best. He picks the flawed, the broken, the insecure, the doubter, the depressed, the discouraged, the underdog, and he especially likes those that don't think they can do it. You get up and you look in the mirror when God tells you something, and you say, I don't think I can do it. God's like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Funny how God works that way, but he does work that way. Moses and David and Peter are all examples of people that were flawed that God used for his greatness. And that scripture where where Jesus is talking to Philip and Nathaniel, or especially talking to Nathaniel, he tells them and he gives an example that I am there for you all the time. I am available. Mark, I'm available. Not me, God. I'm available for you. Nathaniel, I recognize, I knew you before you even got up from that tree and came here. I was aware of you. Brother Soros, I am aware of you. He probably doesn't call you Brother Soros, though. Unless you're on that kind of relationship with God, by the way. I was teasing my wife before service about you know, how we get so casual sometimes and, you know, we call each other by our first names and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know if I like that too much. Brother Dale. I worked hard to become a Brother Hera. But God doesn't call me Brother Hera. You know, he calls me Dale. You know where I'm going with that. We'll get back to that in a minute. And then being aware He's aware of us. He's aware of our needs. 
You know, Brother, Brother Buford mentioned a scripture here a couple weeks ago about the son of, of Jonathan, Saul's grandson. I can't pronounce his name. It, it's Methipotheth or Methipotheth. I made a mistake. I, I was preaching about this, this young man in another church, and I, I started calling him Meth, okay? And I, and, 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 and I said, David went to Meth. And I thought, no, that does not sound right. That doesn't work. So, so I'm going to call, I'm just going to say David, Saul's grandson, okay? Saul and Jonathan die in the battle. Jonathan is killed. The anguish of Saul is so severe, he realizes they're going to kill him. Most likely if they kill him, they're going to torture him. So in fear, he says, hey, hey, kill me, please. And they were fear, the, the, the soldiers were fearful of the vengeance of God upon their lives. So rather than killing him, they said, no, we can't do that. So Saul takes his own Saul sword and falls upon it, kills himself. And about that time, the, the, the guardian, the handmaiden of, of Jonathan's house, her name was Zeba, took, took Jonathan's son and, and, and began to run with him. Methpitheseth, or whatever, okay? Bible's not clear. Now, there, there, this is something. When I, when I read scripture, I look at things and I think to myself, there's something more there because... Because, and I don't know, maybe it's because of this business we own. I think this lady, Zeba, was, was abusing her right as taking care of that young baby. Okay, first off, she's running from the battle. She wants to protect this child. I don't know if when he fell, if he fell on his own accord or she fell on top of him. But whatever happened to him, he was crippled for the rest of his life. And here in the scripture, in Samuel, it, does, it goes to the extent of saying, and Zeba had 15 children and our 14 children and 15 servants. I'm thinking. And she took care of the boy all that time. And I'm thinking, that sounds a little weird. That sounds almost like manipulating for her good. And the Bible actually says there's some sort of discourse between her and David. Okay, but we got to look at David as being a type and shadow of the king of kings, Jesus. David, David gets in his heart, i got to find out what happened to him. I know Jonathan had a descendant. What happened to him? So he traces him down and he finds him. And instead of just, just doing what he said, he could have stayed there and stayed in that situation with Zeba. He said, no, I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you back in my house. I'm going to restore you to full royalty. This is exactly how Jesus interacts with us as his people when we walk away or we're hurt. He is ready to take us back and restore us. Do you believe that? It doesn't matter if Zeba was the one that fell on her or not, or fell on that boy or not. The point of the matter was he was the, the king was aware of his presence and where he was at and brought him back to the place he was at. Don't let a situation or a problem keep you from being the royalty that God wants you to be in his kingdom. The Bible is clear that we are to be kingdom-minded. Say that, kingdom-minded. This church we're starting is not Dale Harris Church. This church right here is not Brandon, Brandon Buford's church. This is a part of the kingdom. We are to be kingdom-minded. We are part of the kingdom. We are child children of the king. Doesn't that make us royalty in a way? That makes us people that should recognize what the, the needs of the kingdom is, and that is to spread it. The kingdom has to grow. The Lord's Prayer has a simple thought. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the way we got to live. Now, in this, in this passage that I read, and I, and I, and I, I got a little bit off there about Brother Meth. Meth, MEP, M-E-P, okay? God is aware of every situation, everything that you've gone through in your life. He's aware of your sicknesses. He's aware of your weaknesses. 
He's aware of your temptations. He's aware of your trials. He's aware of your temptations. He's aware of your temptations. That scripture that says he will never put on you more than you will bear, we quote that a lot out of context. That isn't saying that you're going to, your, your, your problems are never going to get too heavy that you, you can't handle it. What that scripture is referring to, you've got God living in your life that you can overcome any temptation that comes your way. He's aware of those weaknesses. He's given you the strength over those things. When we look at the word of God, we also, I want to give another example of God knowing exactly where someone's at. In the same book, in the book of John, in the 18th chapter, from the very first scripture, it talks about the, the, the betrayal. They're in the garden praying. Jesus, is, Jesus is, is aware of the situation, what's happened with Judas. They just had the Lord's Supper. They just had that, that, last, that, that last supper. And, and Jesus has told the different ones that there's going to be something happening. Peter has stepped out and he said, I'm never going to fail you. I won't deny you. We've all been reading the Bible. Good. So, the Bible tells us that when they come to him, they wanted to make sure they were getting the right man. Judas had already set up a deal that I'm going to, I'll walk up to him and I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. They still wanted a little bit more confirmation of who that was. And so they said, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus said, I am he. And they, they kind of got startled by that response because he's referencing the name of the Almighty God with that first I am, okay? And the Bible says they fell back because that was what? It was blasphemous to say that, okay? And they asked him again to, for clarity, the Bible says they actually fell down. It stunned them so much that he had that boldness to say that. And then they got up to get him, and Peter, as a knee-jerk reaction, takes his sword out, and he strikes the side of this soldier's head or this guard's head and cuts off his ear. This scripture, this reference to this thing happening is in all four Gospels. It's amazing that not all, the way that the gospel works, rarely is all four events recorded in all of them. But this is recorded in all four of them, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't mention who cut the ear off. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all don't say the name of the guard. Luke's the only one that actually says that Jesus healed him. But John goes to the level of telling us it was Peter that did the dirty work. And Malchus was the name of the guard. And, and I, this is always, I, things like that, when it, it stands out in Scripture when I read it. And I, and I wanted to find out about this Malchus. I, Brother Buford, I went, to, I went to the early church father writings. I have those books. I, I searched through there to see if Malchus is mentioned by the early church fathers in any way. Most of the time when somebody is mentioned in the New Testament like that in Scripture, there is either a historic reference there for that reason or that person had some sort of prominence in the church after that. Okay? So we don't know if Malchus became a convert or if he was simply put there before that understanding. But the one thing that we do know from what history tells us about those people that worked in the temple do you remember how the Bible, when you read Leviticus and, and when you read those, uh, those first four books, how they go into all these ceremonial laws and, and restrictions and requirements for temple duty? There's mentions about the priests, the Levites. Everybody that was a priest had to be a Levite. But everybody that wanted to work for God had the opportunity to work for God. And the historians tell us that every young boy that was born a Hebrew would study that Torah and try to memorize that first five books so they knew exactly what they were going to do when they got to the temple. They couldn't be a priest, but they could be in service in some way. That was the heartbeat of the United Pentecostal Church as I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. And that is now becoming our heartbeat once again. 
that we want to do everything that we can. We want young men to step up, young ladies to step up and accept the calling and the high calling of Christ Jesus and do the work that he's called us to do. Accept the duties that he's asked you to do. Be the preacher that he's asked you to be. There's some speculation by some, some commentators that maybe Peter actually knew Malchus. I don't know about that for sure. But there's speculation that maybe Peter was aware of that. Peter didn't get to work in the temple. He became a fisherman. Maybe he knew Malchus. And maybe, hey, you pull out a knife in a fight? You're just going to chop somebody's ear off? Why didn't he just slit his throat? You could, I mean, he's, he's, he's in the middle of it. Why, why did he cut off his ear? So there's some speculations by some that Peter was in an act of vengeance against Malchus because taking off his ear, he became maimed, and he couldn't be in temple service anymore. People in church sometimes hurt people in church. But you can't let that be what keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. You can't doubt your calling because someone says something. I may have told this story before, but my mom and dad, they came into church when I was a little boy. I didn't come to church. I came to church. Let me, let me say this. i got to rewind it a little bit. I got a little crazy there. My mom and dad, my mom and dad had nothing to do with church. I was a Sunday school kid, okay? A church bus came and picked me up every, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Friday night for service. Came and got me and picked me up and took me to church. My uncle was the pastor. Pray for him. He's in the hospital right now, breathing probably some of his last breaths. Okay. But when I was about 15 years old, 15 years old, my mom and dad came to church. And they got involved, and I felt like it was the greatest thing in my life to see them involved. But there had been some trouble in our family. There had been an event that had happened in the past where, where there was some unfaithfulness and, and, and an event that occurred that, that, that made my dad always resentful and hateful and mean, okay? And, 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 and long story short, is a, a baby was born into our family. It was my little sister. And the ba- they, they had a baby dedication there at the church. And at the end of the service, they were standing in the back, and everybody's coming up and greeting them and saying everything about how nice it is and everything. But there was one spiteful, mean person that walked up to my mom and dad, looked at my dad square in the eye, and said, that baby doesn't look anything like you. And my mom and dad never went back to church. If somebody hurts you, you can't let that be what separates you from God. Nothing is worth losing heaven. Nothing is worth losing the kingdom. Nothing is worth that. And folks, no matter what, we've got to be the type of people. When we see that type of hurt amongst us, we've got to open our arms up. Love them back in the best we can. There are people that are hurting. There are people that know God, that have got some sort of prick in their heart that God knows about. And if Malchus' name is not mentioned for any other reason in that scripture, other than let us know, Brother Stephen, that in that big picture, God was still aware of Malchus. Still aware of him. Can you imagine the blood stains on his clothes when he went back to the temple? Do you imagine the communication that was spreading across the, the temple guards with this happening? What's with all the blood, man? I don't see anything wrong. You got him good? Did you get him good? There's, no, there's nothing wrong with you. He must have thought you did something, okay? He. His name's not mentioned again. But we know Jesus took notice of him. And that moment reached down. I don't know why the other guys didn't blame Peter. Kind of think he might have still been alive, Brother Buford. 
John wrote his book a little bit later than everybody else. They were kind of protecting Peter's self-esteem. Maybe when Mark was writing it, Mark was his disciple. Mark, he might have said, man, I don't really want my name associated with that thing. Don't put that in there. Matthew, if you do that, I'm not going to help you out too much more. Luke, I know you're a friend of Paul's. I don't know how that all happened. Maybe Peter was already gone. John said, I'm going to let everybody know what happened. But you know what happened in this story? We always want to take vengeance in our own hands, don't we? We always want to get back to the people that hurt us in some way. Look at that scripture. Look at that story where Peter is in that garden. Look at what's going on in that, in, I mean, in, in that courtyard. All right? The Lord told him, you're going to deny me three times today. Before the evening's up, the cock's going to crow. You're going to deny me. Peter said, never, I would never do that. And somebody says, hey, you're one of them. He said, no, no, I'm not. Someone else says, hey, you're one of them. He said, no, no, I'm not. And the third one walks up to him and says, hey, I know you're one of them. I was in the garden. And I'm related to Malchus. Your sins will find, their sins will find them out. Don't take that in your head. You surrender that to God. Now, we are in a place of revival and growth in this church. It's tremendous to see what God's doing. But there's things we need to recognize we've got to lay aside. We've got to lay aside personal vendettas. We've got to lay aside personal feelings. We've got to make sure the kingdom of God is the first and foremost thing in our lives. Come on, somebody get in agreement with me tonight. I recognize some things. I, I don't say a whole lot. I don't get up and try to, convert, to, to talk to people and talk down to them anyway. What I try to do is I try to follow the sensitivity of the Holy Ghost and His Spirit. When I go up to somebody and pray for them, I don't go up to them and tell them. What, I don't try to read them their mail. I just tell them that God's got something better for them. I try to tell them that God's got a plan for them. Conviction of the Holy Ghost takes care of those things. But I do know something. We've got to be careful here. There is, there, there is a familiarity. Brother Bruford, I have to ask permission. If I can step forward, can I speak with authority here right now? Folks, this church is on the cups of revival. This is not Brother Brandon. This is not Sister Brene. This is Pastor Buford. This is Pastor Buford. We cannot get to this place where, oh, I grew up with them. It's casual and it's okay. They've got to be in a comfort level to operate in the spirit without the association of what they did when they were younger. That's in the past. It's over. It doesn't matter how you're related to somebody in the kingdom of God. You may know all of the things that people have done wrong, and I'm not saying they've done anything wrong. But you, my sons know me. My sons know things that I've done. But those things have to be laid aside when it comes to the kingdom of God. When I was, when I was younger, oh, Lord, I'm going to tell them myself. I did one of the stupidest things. My fanaticism, my, 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 my fandom, I should say, with this Disney stuff. I had, I had these little figures of Lady and the Tramp and Little Mermaid and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs on this shelf, okay? And, and, and Michael, my oldest son, and, and Jeremy and Jonathan, they thought that they were going to get into my front room, which was my office, and they were going to beat Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, and they had brooms in my office, swinging these brooms every which way, swinging and fighting and having a sword fights with their lightsabers, which were broomsticks. And they crashed into the little mermaid and cut off her head. Oh. Well, I'm and I was a bad parent that day. I lost it. There's legends about that day in my family. My parents, they won't let me live that down. My boys won't let me live that day down. Somebody, out of fear of my retaliation to my oldest son, who happened to be the person that killed the little mermaid, Bought me another Little Mermaid statue of equal value and, and, and put it on my shelf. 
When my son was up into his latter 20s, he would still visit my home and see that little mermaid statue and remember the anger of that day and relive in his mind the events of that day. I can't tell you what day or year it was. I could probably look it up, but I don't have time. And I recognized that that thing constantly caused him pain. And one day I thought, I've got to do something. Those things remind him of that horrible, horrible day. And so I put them on sale on eBay in Australia. And I sent all those princes to the princesses to the other side of the world so that my sons would not have to remember that horrible, horrible day. Leave the past in the past, and let's get ready for the great things that God's getting ready to do. Last time I... The last time I, I mentioned the last two times I spoke here, I felt like a need that I had to justify why I was here. I don't know, I don't really think it's necessarily anything that comes out of this congregation. I, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's a collective thought. I, 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 think it's a, I think it's a spirit. I saw our pastor stand in front of our district on Thursday night, and God used him in a different way in the spirit than I've ever seen him be used here in his church. You need to free our pastor to be our pastor and operate in the spirit the way that God wants his church to operate. When the spirit of the Holy Ghost falls upon this place and people begin to worship, you need to be able to have the liberty to stand upon your feet and not be afraid to dance, not to be afraid to jump, not to exercise the things of the Spirit. It's not his limitation put on you. It's this presence of mind, this, 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 this feeling that what if I did it and, and someone doesn't think I'm qualified or something? You're qualified as a kingdom-minded person to do what the Spirit of God leads you to do. And you need to step out with the authority of the Holy Ghost. When God tells you to do something, you do it and you got to go. And you got to have that feeling in your heart that if, 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 if I don't do it, it's woe is me. Woe is me. We need to let the Spirit of the Lord direct and minister here in that way. I want us all to stand. The pains, the hurts, the things that might have happened in the past. I, I, they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Leave them there. The reason I mailed those statues to Australia, I never wanted there to be an opportunity for my sons to ever think that they'd have to see those things again. God is aware of our situations. He's available. And folks, he is able to use you in a way that you would can never imagine. None of us are too young. None of us are too old. None of us are too disabled to let God do something great in our lives. None of us are too young. None of us are too old. None of us are disabled. None of us have situations that keep us from doing the things that God is calling us to do. None of us are too young. None of us are too old. None of us are disabled. None of us have limitations set upon us that keeps us from doing what God wants us to do. Pastor Buford, I believe God has got great things in store for the Lighthouse. I believe God has great store, things in store for the saints of the Lighthouse. I think God has, in, has something in store for all those that are obedient to the kingdom of God. 
I told a simple story at camp. I told a simple story. I thought to myself about when David selected those five stones out of the out of the, the smooth creek. He got one of the smooth stones out of the creek. He picked five. I have no idea why he picked five. Some people say he picked five because there was four other giants. Some people say he picked five because it was the name of Jesus. David didn't speak English, so it wasn't that. <laughs> but he reached into that sack and he pulled out a stone. And that one stone got placed into the to the, the satchel that he would spin over his head and he would let it go. And that stone was the stone that was used to strike the giant in the head and made him knock him out to the ground. What happened to the other four stones? Did he just pour them out on the ground that day? Or did he use them for something else later on? Did he, did he perhaps have a dog barking in the backyard one day and just reached into that sack and said, stupid dog, shut up. Throw. Maybe he sat down in a chair another day and the chair was a little bit wobbly and he took the other stone and he set it under this chair so it wouldn't wobble on him. Maybe the wind was blowing and he had some important documents on his desk and he set the other one as a paperweight. I don't know, but they all got to be used for that king. We're not all going to be preachers. We're not all going to be the ones that stand up in the forefront of things. But we all do have a place in the kingdom of God. You just need to accept it, folks. Just use me some way, God. And be careful when you say those words because he will. Can we come? Can we just come?